Welcome to the Net Group Investments podcast channel, a collection of conversations where we share a variety of views and insights that investors care about. From market updates and investment fundamentals to investor behavior and even the latest book recommendations, this is a space to stay informed and interested in your financial world. Hello, my name is David Levinson. I am your host for the Responsible Investment segment of our Investment Insights. Today, we welcome Romy Chevalier, who is an independent consultant and policy researcher, and I hope I get this one correct, of the South African Institute of International Affairs. Is that right, Romy? Yes. Hi, David. (laughs) Uh, Which is, and I stole this from your website, an independent public policy think tank advancing a well-governed, peaceful, economically sustainable, and globally engaged Africa. Indeed. (laughs) Romy, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, David. So a bit of context for you, Romy. At Negroup, we have identified biodiversity, human rights, people inclusion, and climate change as key sustainability focus areas for the decade. And it is the latter which I regard you, Romy, as an absolute expert. So no pressure on you today. (laughs) Romy is a specialist on the entire value chain, I believe, in climate change. So from the science to the mitigation strategies to national policy development and even international diplomacy. We held our annual investment summit last year where the audience were asked what the biggest themes were impacting investing over the course of the next decade. First was big data and artificial intelligence, and very little surprise, sustainable investing came in second from 23% of the audience, even ahead of healthcare solutions, growth in e-commerce, and blockchain. Romy, we also run an annual review of 47 global asset managers, where we did ask them what the top three climate-related risks and opportunities were, and they highlighted carbon regulation, emissions-related, and the energy transition. So that's why climate change is so topical, particularly, I guess, in the policy space for us. So I want to go back to the beginning, I guess, for the sake of context. What are the COP meetings and why are they so important? What's at stake and what can realistically be achieved? Okay, so thanks for having me again. And just for the audience benefit, a COP meeting is a conference of parties meeting. So essentially every year, the UN, all the member countries of the UN, there are 197 countries that are member countries to the UN, meet annually to discuss issues related to climate change and sustainable development. So every year, so COP26 was the last one that took place in November last year, where heads of state, delegations from every country in the world came together to deliberate and have conversations around issues related to the climate agenda. So everything from what the science is saying, what we need to do and what action is required, where we're falling short, Essentially, a stock, a global stock take of what needs to be done and where we're at in terms of our global emission reductions and actions that are needed to take place. This obviously, COPs have been taking place for decades now, and um, it's a very complicated issue. It's a very political and economic issue. So not only necessarily based on what the climate science is telling us, it's a balance between all the different domains. And it's not only a meeting of government actors, but also a meeting of non-state actors. So, for example, the financial sector was very present at the last COP. And what we are noticing to date is that the action by all countries has not been ambitious enough. So COP26, one of the major discussion points was around ambition. 
making sure that all countries are making um, very specific commitments to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions and proactively pursue low-carbon, climate-resilient development pathways. And we know, for example, that where we're at in the scientific body, the IPCC, which is kind of the credible body that we look at. And that's um, the, uh, I think it's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Yeah, is that right? They have already stated that we are looking at warming at the moment of 1.1 degrees pre-industrial levels, which essentially, we, we're aiming for 1.5. So essentially saying we're not far off the targets that we're so looking at. So as of 2021, we had 1.1. Yeah, and we're looking in terms of the developing countries, which I speak on behalf of because I represent, obviously, South Africa and the continent, but we're looking at a, at, at a target of 1.5 degrees. Yeah, it's probably that one that the investment and finance industry, their ears perk up a little bit when they hear about the adaptation and mitigation. I think something like $100 billion have been pledged by the rich world or developed nations for developing nations. Um, maybe we can touch on that a little bit in a second, but just from you know talking on behalf of most of us here who sit and read the news at home on what happened at COP, um, there was obviously the key phrase, I think it was keeping 1.5 alive, keep 1.5 mm-hmm. alive. And yeah. you mentioned Africa committing to 1.5, which mm-hmm. is interesting because the developing world has up till this point be given a bit of leeway to maybe even exceed that and the developed world below that and then they marry somewhere in the middle to reach at 1.5. I believe the science also says that a continent like Africa actually warms twice as fast as some other regions in the world. So if, for example, we do 1.5, that could mean three degrees for Africa. I think obviously there are a lot of moving parts and complexity behind that. But on my drive over here, I actually rewound to listen to The Economist podcast during COP26 or right at the end. And the host asked the question was, was COP26 a success? (laughs) (laughs) The one commentator said, we felt like we couldn't reach Everest Summit, but we're at base camp. The other gentleman said, I felt like we were meandering in the hills below. (laughs) I don't know, in your view and maybe the context of South Africa and Africa, do you think it was a success? It's such a difficult question. I guess it depends who you are and who you're asking. So, so for example, I agree with you. I mean, the Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Guterres, basically said that he felt that the... So there was a text, which I'll go into now, that was actually approved at the end of COP, and he said that text was a compromise, and it very clearly reflected the interests, the conditions and the contradictions and the state of political will in the world today. So essentially saying we're we're not acting with urgency and we're not being ambitious enough. But that being said, um, I've also been involved in the COPs for a long time and they are really, really complicated and difficult. And COP26 comes at a very difficult time. A, we had missed a year because of all the COVID issues. so, So there was a lot of things on the agenda. I think there were 250 technical items to be agreed on at this COP. So there was heavy, heavy technical issues to go through. And parts of the COP were very successful. So at the beginning of the COP is the World Leaders Summit, where I think there were 120 heads of state that came to this COP and essentially made commitments. A lot of them bilaterally, some of them financial commitments. Some countries, there were coalitions that made agreements on, for example, deforestation or methane emissions. I mean, there were lots of different things going on. So from a momentum perspective, from a making sure that countries are committing and, you know, from a political perspective, I think there was a lot to work with, which are going to require, you know, a lot of leadership and collective action from all countries and all all stakeholders across all economies. What it has done is it set us in motion in terms of thinking long term. So, there's something, there are these frameworks called the nationally determined contributions, which each country has had to kind of take home and decide from a domestic perspective what they're able to and willing to pledge in terms of this global commitment. And what happens is that after a period, in 2025, there's a global stock take. So they have a look at all the NDCs that have been pledged, and then they look at the cumulative impact of those and then say whether we're meeting the targets that we're wanting. So 
clearly, and there's been a lot of stock take and a lot of analysis on this, we haven't, we are not meeting those targets. So in terms of that, it hasn't been successful. But what the COP did, the COP presidency basically put in motion a renewed impetus, essentially saying everyone has to go back to the drawing board. And by 2022, COP27 in Egypt, we have to revisit those commitments and make sure that they're more ambitious. So each country is now responsible to enhance those commitments, which is, it was um, almost the elephant in the room or the thing that people saw as the make or break of this mm. COP. And I don't think that there was much progress made there. Essentially what they've done, what we, what the developing world did is it highlighted that the developed world, as you said, um, hasn't delivered on its promises. They've reneged on, the, on their pledges to date. So there was a lot of discussion around the delivery of this finance. Thanks so much, Omi. And it's interesting to hear that Egypt are hosting the next one. I mentioned they're one of the driest countries in the world and will probably feel the effects of climate change the hardest. But you touched on it earlier. Maybe we have to set aside another podcast. I think we're running out of time. We must invite you back maybe as we head towards COP27 because we haven't even touched on the social side of it yeah. as much as we probably should. I think yeah. it's yeah. important not to talk about the environment and society as mutually exclusive because that's not the case. But the sustainability challenges, and hopefully we're breaking this down, is typically we operate in silos and it sounds like these COP meetings are bringing people from different fields together in the public and the private space, which is, I think, is important because collaboration will be part of the big solution going forward. But we are unfortunately out of time. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to welcoming you back. I think I can say that. Thank you so much, David. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Ned Group Collective Investments is an authorised Collective Investments Scheme Manager in terms of the Collective Investments Schemes Control Act. Ned Group Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit netgroupinvestments.co.za. Ned Group Investments. See money differently.